Hello and welcome to the Lancet Psychiatry Podcast. Now, for those of us who grew up in the 1980s, our knowledge of drugs is really confined to just three words, just say no. Uh, however, we have all matured since then, most of us anyway, uh, and have, the field of uh, addiction has matured as well. So now there's really much more attention being paid to what's called harm minimization. That is the acceptance that some people will continue to use illicit substances and the idea that there may be ways in which you can minimize the harm of that. Uh, this has been uh, tried and tested in areas such as heroin addiction, and today I'm going to be talking about it in quite a controversial area, which is cannabis use. And I'm very glad to be joined by two authors of a recent personal view in the Lancet Psychiatry, which is called Can We Make Cannabis Safer? Uh, and my guests are Amir England, who's uh, with the Department of Psychosis Studies at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience, which is at King's College London and also Tom Freeman, who is from the Clinical Psychopharmacology Unit at University College London. Hello, Amir and Tom. Hello. Hi. So let's start off with, with why we're bothered about cannabis being safe in, in the first place. And what we're really focusing on here is the association of cannabis with psychosis. But isn't it just that? Isn't it just an association? Can we really say that, that there's a causative role? Well, we, we cannot yet say there's a causative role, but there, there is consistent evidence that the association is there. So my personal stance is of a risk-averse one in that we, we might just assume that there might be a, uh, an association there and think about ways in which we can mitigate harm from that. And when I say cannabis, that in itself is an oversimplification. There's not just cannabis. Tom, um, can you tell me the difference between the, the different types of cannabis which are available and which people use, and, and maybe how frequently they use them? Okay, so if we looked um, 10 or so years ago, in the UK, the most prominent type of cannabis was hash or resin, and this is um, produced using traditional methods, and it's got a quite a low potency of THC, which is the main psychoactive ingredient in cannabis. That's what gets you stoned. And it also produces some negative effects, such as cognitive impairment and often psychotic symptoms transiently. Hash and resin also contains roughly similar levels of cannabidiol, and this is a cannabinoid that we're very interested in, and which is a big focus of our personal view. Um, so in the last 10 years or so, the prevalence of that more mild form of cannabis is really decreased and has been replaced by a much more potent THC only type of cannabis often called Cincimilia or skunk um, and this is very prevalent not only in the UK but also in Australia across Europe and the United States. Well if skunk is so popular doesn't that just indicate that's what people want to smoke and is it feasible to really talk about harm minimization if people want the form of cannabis which is more harmful? Well, in, in a way, yes, but also the, the market is kind of supplying the demand of its users. And we know about 70 to 80 percent of the cannabis that's being purchased is being purchased by a 10 to 15 percent minority of all cannabis users. So these are the really heavy users that use it several times a day. And obviously they will start developing some tolerance towards the drug so they'll go for a stronger and stronger product. Okay and you're talking about harm minimization by altering the cannabis which is on sale which people can use. What kind of alteration would you be talking about here? 
Well, one option would be to promote cannabis, which has a balanced level of CBD. Okay, I'm just going addition. to stop you there. Promote. How are you going to promote it if it's sold on street corners? Well, one, one method would be through health promotion campaigns. So mm -hmm. even if we don't make any legis legislative changes to cannabis policy, we can still encourage people to use milder forms of cannabis. And the work published by Marta DeForti in Lancet Psychiatry indicated that people who use hash didn't show an increased risk of psychosis even if they used it daily. And on the basis of these findings, we might say, even in the current state of affairs in the UK and other illicit markets, this kind of cannabis should be promoted. Okay, and is there anything that could be done if we're, we're thinking some more blue skies to, to change the law? Are you in favour of legalising cannabis, Amir? Um, well, <laughs> it, it, it completely depends on what we mean by legalising because uh, it, it's just not that black and white. It's not legalizing and letting all market forces take over and selling and uh, advertising to everyone, for instance. So um, if it's done well, well-regulated, uh, proper tax in, uh, taxing systems put in place and also bans on advertisements, maybe restricting the number of outlets, Things like that have, in alcohol research for instance, showed to have a significant impact on use and also abuse. So there are ways in which you can mitigate harms through those methods, but also if, if it's left unregulated, it could potentially cause harm by promoting use through advertisements and several more outlets for instance. Do we have any idea from the experience of medical cannabis availability in the States or legalized cannabis available elsewhere? Does that seem to alter people's preference for, for THC or cannabidiol? Or has anyone tried to do what you've suggested, which is promote the safer form of cannabis within those frameworks? To, to my knowledge, not really. And in terms of the use in America, the, the recent data seems to suggest that um, the states which implemented medical cannabis laws were the states where use was already pretty high. And then since the implementation, not a significant change has occurred within those states in terms of use numbers. Uh, in terms of the potencies in those states, the, there is still a preference for quite high potency cannabis varieties, although it is sold in these legal outlets. Um, CBD has gained in popularity. It's quite a trendy thing at the moment. Uh, there are talks about CBD's usefulness as a treatment for mental illness, such as schizophrenia, but also it's currently being trialed as an anti-epileptic drug in treatment-resistant pediatric epilepsy, for instance. But one of the problems with cannabis, surely, is that it, it tends to be smoked, and doctors have spent so much time over the last few decades telling people not to smoke it seems odd to say, well, we're going to harm minimize in terms of the psychosis risk, but nevertheless, the way in which it's taken carries, as we know, a huge risk of lung cancer and all sorts of other health problems. How do you get around that? Well, I think you touched on a very important issue because cannabis is typically smoked, not only smoked, but also smoked together with tobacco in the UK and Europe and also quite widely across the world. And that's not a safe way to use cannabis. Um, it's likely to increase people's exposure to nicotine perhaps for the first time and then cause nicotine dependence in people who would never have tried tobacco. And so one option, if we do look at alternative methods of managing cannabis, is to promote non-smoked uh, routes of administration. So vaporizer is perhaps a new development relatively, 
similar to e-cigarettes for tobacco, so it's potentially a comparable harm minimization method which should be promoted and we believe is important. Well that's a whole other argument because some people have the idea that e-cigarettes minimise um, use of combustible tobacco, other people say well hey the way that these things are marketed it's actually encouraging young people to pick up a cigarette uh, or a cigarette-like device and to use a substance which they wouldn't otherwise have used. Uh, where, where do you fall on this? Do you think that e-cigarettes minimise harm or do you think they encourage a new generation of, of smokers? Oh, well, that's really difficult to answer again. Um, but I would still suggest that it, it is um, a technology that has a great potential to minimise harm, Pat particularly considering how risky tobacco use is and as well how prevalent it still remains. So, sure, there, there are still some unknown risks with use of e-cigarettes and there is the potential that it might be sort of a gateway into use of um, regular tobacco, but for smokers it seems to be a really good and important option. And I would say that a review of the evidence by Anne McNeil for Public Health England showed very clearly that e-cigarettes may not be completely harmless but they're far less harmful than inhaled tobacco and there may be a small risk of young people taking up e-cigarettes but the number of lives we could save by promoting a reduction in tobacco smoking is massive and, and I would agree with her in saying that this is something we should encourage. So assuming what, what you say is, is correct, isn't it maybe a bit defeatist of doctors to say, well, hey, you know, we can't stop people smoking cannabis, we're just going to, to soften the blow a bit? Do you think that we should maybe be aiming a bit higher than this? Well, I think it depends on people's own goals, because if somebody comes forward um, to a health professional and has a desire to quit using cannabis and or tobacco, we should help them realise that goal. But if they say, look, I use cannabis or tobacco once a month, I don't want to develop lung cancer when I'm older, I want to have a healthy life. What can I do? And I think in that circumstance, if they don't want to quit, perhaps we can help them use it more in a more safe way. And, and how far should doctors go down this route of making cannabis safer? Because we've talked about various things. We've talked about lower THC. We've talked about uh, e-cigarettes and, and uh, vaporised forms of cannabis. Do you think that doctors and researchers should maybe partner with industry in developing these devices? Because what I have in my head are these old school images of cigarette adverts from the 1950s of doctors saying, well, smoke this cigarette, it's practically good for you. Yeah. No, I mean, again, it, I think there possibly needs to be a balance there in that industry is not promoting their products for their own gains over that of the potential health benefit for the patient. So the, the health of the patient, the mental health of the patient, should always be uh, at centre of the debate. Um, in terms of how far they should potentially go, as Tom mentioned, some people do not have the interest or they feel that they lack the capacity to quit at this very moment. They might be farther down the line, but we should have tools and advice to give them on the day that might help at least uh, and might even pave the way for reduction in use at a later stage potentially. 
I'd just like to pick up on something which, which you raised earlier, Amir, and maybe, Tommy, you can help with this, which is the possible use of cannabidiol as a treatment for mental health problems. Can you tell me a bit about that? So there have been two positive trials so far for cannabidiol, the treatment of psychosis, which is encouraging. And Amir mentioned some data with epilepsy. Um, and there are other trials going on um, in many other indications. However, I would say that the data is not clear-cut yet and we should keep on carrying out research trials such as these before we make strong advice. And is it hard to get funding for that kind of trial? In my experience, no, we've been well funded by the MRC to do this research. And Amir, are there any other areas to do with this cannabis psychosis harm minimization sort of axis? Any other areas which you think should be priorities for research in the future? Well, I mean, so cannabis we, we tend to see three main risks. One is psychosis, but however, psychosis is not a very common phenomenon. It happens to about one out of a hundred in their lifetime. Uh, something that does happen more frequently is dependence to cannabis. It happens to about one out of 11 users. And also what we see in quite heavy cannabis users, they get memory impairments. Uh, which usually subsides if they manage to quit and stay abstinent for at least four weeks. But for those currently using, they do seem to, to perform worse on cognitive tasks, but also in terms of educational attainment. Now, uh, we've done some experimental work. We've administered THC and CBD in studies to healthy volunteers. And in those kinds of studies, we can see that a, a substantial dose of THC can induce psychotic-like experiences in healthy volunteers and also acute memory impairments. But in some studies we've done, we've also seen protective effects of administering CBD alongside THC. And that's something now that uh, we've gotten a, a new research grant from the Medical Research Council to explore further what kind of combinations of THC and CBD might be the one that mitigates the most harm. And in terms of the legal framework for harm minimization, do you think that the law as it stands really allows you uh, to do all you'd want to do in that area? Or do you think that, that some changes might be necessary if harm minimization is going to really achieve its full potential? There's a, there's a difference if you mean the laws that uh, allow us to, to do more research, or if you talk about laws that allow implementation of harm minimization. So obviously we're restricted by the, the scheduling laws when it comes to drug research. So we were using plant cannabis, which is schedule one. If we went for a pure THC compound, that's schedule two, so restrictions are less. So we need to jump through fewer hoops if we used pure synthetic THC, for instance. So that's that's just on the research side of things. On the, the side of harm minimization, we're not really sure about that because that, that's a greater political issue and it would potentially be implementing less severe punishments for can, uh, for sale and possession of cannabis uh, products that have greater CBD content or lower THC content. And of course we'll have to look at the 
international picture there, and we'll have to look at what happens in these uh, states and countries which have moved towards more liberal policies. Absolutely, and I think we can take lessons from their successes and their mistakes. And if we look at the United States, it's been drastic changes at, at a state level, and many have argued that they are focusing on profits rather than public health. And we would argue that we need science to inform um, policy about cannabis, whether it relates to harm minimization or just in general, because there's a chance that ca the cannabis industry could become another alcohol or tobacco industry. And that's something that we think would not be good for public health or the average individual who uses cannabis. So the message we have at the end of the day is just say it's complicated. Thank you very much, Amir and Tom, for coming in and joining us today. And thanks to you, the listener, for downloading this podcast. You can read the paper, Can We Make Cannabis Safer, online at The Lancet Psychiatry. Uh, but for now, goodbye, and I hope you'll join us again next time.